Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We reach week five here of in and out And we've just been working through these spiritual disciplines, this spiritual practice business that we always seem to neglect because it feels like a chore. It feels like another thing to add on. It feels like, how am I going to get through my day if I just have to add more things to the pile of to do? And so what we want to do is remember we've talked about what spiritual practices allow us to do, and that's to create an intentional space that allows us to know and love Jesus deeper. When we were talking about planting this church, we were talking about building hyphen and what it, um, what it was going to look like. We um, decided that we were, we were going to work on the mission statement first, and we, we got a mission statement and the mission statement itself was pretty good, and we felt like it was pretty, pretty rock solid. Um, it said, we want to form people who practice the presence of Jesus. And we thought that there were two really important words in that sentence. Forming, formation, everything that we do in Christ is formation, forming us to be new people. And then practice, because the idea that we just don't stay static in our beliefs, we don't stay static in our faith, that, that believing is an action word. But as you see, as we come to the S in worship this week, we need a practice of sharing our lives with other people. We can't just do this thing that we're doing without other people involved in it. And so what we took a look at was the most important part of our mission statement was missing. We said to form people who practice the presence of God, that was pretty good. No one would argue with that. That's a good thing to do. But it didn't feel complete until we added the last clause to the sentence, for the sake of their neighbors. And so what we decided at Hyphen was that all of this stuff is good to form people who practice the presence of God, but the reason we wanted to do that, the reason that we go through formation and the reason that we practice the things that we practice here is so that our community becomes better, because our neighbors can become better, because our region, because our state, because the sphere that we live in can become better as we get formed 
by God. And so we need to really understand that this is, um, this is in a lot of ways the sister practice to what we talked about last week when we relinquish false self. Because what relinquishing false self was about was about trust in God over self. That giving up all these idols, giving up all these defense mechanisms, that was going to reveal our true self. This week, what we're talking about in sharing our lives with others is about trusting others over self. So these two practices work in conjunction with other. When we have too much trust in ourselves, when we have too much belief that we are the most important thing, when we abandon God as number one and we abandon other people as number two, then we start to get all of these things in um, sort of flux with each other, competing with each other. And so what we're looking at today is we've relinquished the false self, we've dropped those idols to the side, and now we're coming to uh, God and we're saying, all right, I'm trusting myself over other people. How can I create a space so that I can learn to do the opposite? Trusting others over self. And we talked a little bit about why relinquishing this false self is so scary because releasing those defense mechanisms, showing the true self, being transparent in everything, especially in front of God, is one of the hardest things for us to do. Well, now as we're standing there transparent and everyone can see our true self and we've become engaged in a community, it becomes, again, a very difficult process, an unbelievably scary thing to do. Authenticity and being known and interdependence, those all come with a cost. When um, To be transparent and vulnerable comes at a, a very high price in a community. And so when we're clear, when we're standing in front of people and we're being our authentic, true self, that puts us in a place of vulnerability. That comes at a place of where we are trying to be with other people, but we're still hiding in the shadows. That we, we want to connect, we want to belong, but at the same time, it is so costly to do business with other people. Although the alternative to that is to live cut off from others and cut off from God. It's to become a recluse, it's to become a hermit in the world and to cut yourself off and say, you know what, I've been burned so many times before, I've been burned by the church, I've been burned by Christians, I've been burned by people who said they were my friends. So I think the best thing for me to do is just to retreat into my own little hole, just pull myself back into this and not even bother with it. But the problem is, is that when we cut ourselves off from the world, we've also cut ourselves off from God. Because our spiritual formation is not for ourselves. It's not this solo act where we can just come up with all these ideas and we can be these people for God and form ourselves spiritually by ourselves. Our eyes t tend to individualize what we read in the Bible. We read something, we go through it, and we're like, yeah, this is directly to me. This is directly for one person. Um, so as we're reading through Colossians and we're reading this passage, uh, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Yeah, I can do that. That's a solo act. I can forgive others. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Yeah, 
If I clothe myself in love, then everyone's going to be in harmony with me. God chose you. Hmm, that's, that sounds interesting. God chose me. I must be elect. God reached out in his infinite wisdom and through no, nothing of my own self, he chose me. Except that's not what Paul's talking about here. When Paul writes, since God chose you, we have to include the next part of the sentence, to be the holy people. Paul's talking to a group of people here. When Paul says he chose you, he's saying to the church, he's saying to believers in Christ. Christ is the only chosen one. Christ is the only elected individual. And our identity in Christ brings us to that moment. He says you are chosen because you are in God. Being in Christ is the moment that we become chosen. We think we individuals are meant to wear these things, to clothe ourselves. Uh, So we want to read that we're meant to be good people as Christians, which is true. We're meant to be good people. But this is, Paul is not writing individual letters to individual believers. He's writing letters to churches and saying to the church, you need to do these things, live in this way, have this behavior amongst you if you want to be people of the church. And so Paul is talking to the church because this is a letter to a community of believers. Individual members make up the pieces for sure. But we as a community need to take Paul's words. We need to clothe ourselves in the church. The church needs to look like these things that Paul describes. And so what Paul describes are attitudes that we need to cultivate amongst us believers. It's not a laundry list. It's not a to-do list. It's not a have to do. But Paul is telling us our faith and action looks like us living in this way among the community. We cannot do the things that Paul is calling us to do by ourselves. And so our behaviors, our Christ-like behaviors, our belief in Christ is meant to be lived out in community, in a body of believers. It's meant to be cultivated and lived in community. And essentially what Paul is saying is replicate Jesus amongst yourselves. Jesus is here. He's living amongst you because you all look like him. One of the names on our church name list was replicate for a little while, but we didn't go with it because it sounds like reptile a little bit. So replicate Jesus. What we want to become are replicants of Jesus. We want to replicate who he is and do that through ourselves in the community and each other. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience are not individual behaviors and virtues. We can't practice compassion by ourselves. We can't practice humility by ourselves. Humility, by definition, is thinking more of another person. And so we, by definition, need a community in which to practice humility. And this is really asking about where does our identity come from? We are a church not because we came together to form a church and community. We are a church because we have identity in Christ. 
We come together because we identify in Christ and then that's our community identity. We don't set this stuff up. We don't do this worship up here to make ourselves seem better than we are. We don't do all this stuff to be attractive to people. We do this stuff because our identity is in Christ. Christ has called us together to celebrate who he is. We don't just start churches because we want communities to form. Communities are already formed in the identity of Christ. And when we abandon that, and when we start to say, well, my identity is this church, or my identity is that church, or I, rep- I replicate what the pastor is saying, or I replicate the things that this church tells me to do, we get sucked into the big machine. We get sucked into this place where Jesus is not found amongst us. They say, well, that's nice. We can be, we can be a church of people who want to do all these great things and our identity is known as that church. We are a church because we have identity in Christ and we need to do that first before everything else. We need to be people of Christ and in Christ and practicing that as a community and not the other way around. You see, what ultimately expresses one's true beliefs is not words or statements, but actions. We can say all these things, we can believe all these things, but when we start to do them, when we start to live them out, when we start to practice our beliefs in community, all these things start to become known. Christ is seen among us because he's replicated in the community. Because here's the thing about these virtues. They don't improve our standing with God. We can be compassionate and kind and, hum- and humble and meek and patient. And we can do them to the best of our abilities or the worst of our abilities. And it doesn't change our standing in front of God one bit. God loves us. He can't love us any less. He can't love us any more. And so these virtues only improve the state of the community. They don't improve our state of mind with God. They don't improve how close we are to God. They improve the community in which we're in. And so these sharing our lives with other people, in order to share that, we live in community. We connect. It's all about where we're connecting and where we're deciding to place our actions. And so Let's start to unpack these sharing messages with each other, these sharing practices. And just like uh, every week, we have five of them. So I'll go through and talk about what each one looks like and how we can maybe pick one that works for us. Remember, this is not a list of things that we have to do. We don't have to run down the list and say, I've got to do all five of these things every week or I won't meet with God. We want you to find one thing that speaks to you and say, I can do that better I can do this at a better level. This is what I desire to do. And so we want you to find something that will help you to do those things and to grab onto, again, creating intentional space. And so the first sharing practice is community. 
And what we're really trying to build here is not a church, but we're trying to build community to express and reflect the self-donating love of the Trinity by investing in and journeying with others. Look at what community is. Who am I investing in? Who am I journeying with? Those are the questions that we want to ask and answer through this community. I'm journeying with the people of Hyphen. That's how I know it's my community. I am, I, I am investing in them, my time and my money and my sweat equity and my personal relationships and my heart and my mind with them. Who am I in journeying with? Who am I investing in? We create community when we connect with each other in authentic and loving ways that encourage the growth of Christ. That's how we invest as we encourage each other. When we're, when we're sad, when we're happy, when we rejoice together, we rejoice as a community. When we mourn, we mourn as a community. And when we have that, when we answer the question, who am I journeying with? If we can't say who we are journeying with, we don't have community. And community doesn't have to be hyphen. It doesn't have to be this church. It doesn't have to be this place. But everyone journeys with someone. Everyone invests in someone or something. Where your heart is, there also your treasure is. Or where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so what we're investing in, what we're putting together, that is the most important thing as to identifying community. And so some of the practices in, in the community, some community practices would include practicing the biblical one another's. On your way out today, there's uh, some papers in the back that list um, Uh, about two dozen, almost three dozen one another's listed in the Bible. And so you can pick one of them and practice living it for a week. Love one another, bear with one another, share each other's burdens. Um, All of these things where the Bible says one another. Paul continues to write about it. Jesus continues to speak about it. We need to be with one another and we need to practice those one another's. Um. Other uh, community practices would include cultivating authentic relationships that connect you to God or exercising your gifts and fellowship with others or engaging in mission with others. This is a church that's on mission for God and um, God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. So we need to understand that we sometimes get that backwards, that we're journeying together with a church because of God's mission. And we don't have a mission separate from that. We engage with each other, each other in mission. Um, one practice might be including others in your family gatherings, that you're inviting them into uh, a family space, a sacred family space, but uh, bringing in friends, bringing in outsiders, bringing in other people to your family gatherings. And we call them family gatherings because they include friends and family. Um, The next practice is discipling, and this includes a couple of different uh, techniques that we'll talk about, but any sort of discipling practice is is we're desiring to be in a relationship where you're encouraged or where you are encouraging another to become an apprentice of Jesus. That's all discipling is. This is a a community that wants to create disciples who create disciples, 
And so what we do every Sunday is disciple to you, where we're encouraging you to become an apprentice of Jesus. And we want you to be in authentic relationships where you're encouraging others to be an apprentice of Jesus, to follow him in everything he does, learn from him, learn at his feet and gather there together. Now, community and discipling look a lot alike. They're Um, They're about authentic relationships. They're about encouragement. They're about trying to get people to live uh, at the feet of Jesus. But they're all about size. Community often doesn't include closeness. And so when you're discipling someone, it's usually a one-on-one thing or in a smaller group setting. So community is about the larger group as a whole, whereas discipling, we're doing the same thing, but on a much smaller and closer scale. And one of the things that our vision includes here is um, creating some groups, some small group opportunities. We call them A through D groups. And an A group is like an alpha group where we would be all together worshiping. And this is sort of an alpha group here where we meet on Sundays. And this is the first place where we come to know each other, to become, to belong to the community, to be in Christ together. And then a B group, a a beta group, that would be something that would be a a little bit smaller than the larger group. Maybe something for women or something for youth or children or for men. And then we move into a C group, which is a covenant group, where we've actually made a decision to do life together, where there are certain things that we're going to accomplish. There there are, uh, with a small group, we want to come through this and say, I promise to do this with the group and and I want to live this out amongst you and Um, really taking a step of intimacy with a smaller group. And then finally, a D group is just a discipling group where it might be three or four of you together just discipling one another, listening and encouraging and taking those steps together. This is all part of our vision as we grow, as we become a community. We want to have those places where you can uh, come into a closer setting with each other where encouragement works. And so practices, uh, discipling practices might include meeting with one another to encourage one another or to study or to pray. Um, um, Another discipling practice is modeling Christian virtues and really witnessing to others. Witnesses are most important a tool that we have in the world. And so we don't need to just talk about Jesus and say, can I save your life? Can I read through Romans with you? Witnesses also about the way that you live, the way that you model the things to each other. Um, another discipling practice is intentionally investing in the life of another believer. Intentionally investing. That means we're not waiting for someone to come to us to say, oh, can you help my life? We're intentionally investing, meaning we're seeking out people to help. We're seeking those active relationships with another person so that we can encourage them. And then really using your gifts and talents to help another person grow. That's what discipling is all about. Uh, Number three here is the practice of hospitality. And really in hospitality, what we desire is to be a safe person or place who offers others the grace, shelter, and presence of Jesus. We want to be a church that practices hospitality, but we also want to create people who practice hospitality as well. Hospitality is all about creating a safe open space where a friend or stranger can enter and experience the welcoming spirit of Christ. Um, in Greek, the word hospitality is um, philoxenia. So philo is the word for love, 
and xenia, like xenophobia, is the word for stranger or enemy. So the word actually in Greek means love of stranger. That's what hospitality includes. Um, and so, um, or even love of enemy, which takes it to another level. It's just not someone that we haven't met before. But even hospitality includes loving an enemy, loving someone who is uh, actively seeking to destroy you. And so hospitality practices include maybe like sharing your home or your car or your food or your resources or your possessions so others might experience God. And it's so funny that, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I'll pay for groceries for someone or, you know, I'll do this for them. But they never talk about God in the experience. They never say, you know what, I'm going to buy your groceries today because I think that everyone should experience the love of Christ, the love of God. And by doing this, that's what I'm sharing with you. So we need to share those intentionally and, and with purpose so that others might experience God. Uh, another hospitality practice includes reaching out and receiving an enemy with the hope of becoming a friend. Now, that's a scary thing to do. That's a place where we get really uncomfortable. But someone who we've lost touch with, who has burned us, who has wronged us, who has brought us into a place where we harbor hate in our heart, we want to reach out to that person with the hope of becoming a friend. Now, if they don't want that, they don't want that. We can't force those things. But how can we be hospitable to them? How can we host them with generosity and graciousness and um, with the love of Christ? Um, Here's another big one, um, and especially in hospitality nowadays. We want to love, not entertain our guests. And that's such a simple transformation. That's such a simple switch in our brains about okay, they're coming over, what do I need to do for them or with them so that they're not um, ashamed to be here or embarrassed or bored or they want to come back each time? And so again, what does the church look like and how are we building this church? We don't want our guests to come here to be entertained. We want our guests to show up and be loved. And so as we open our homes to people, We don't want to entertain them. We want to love them as they are there. Another hospitality practice includes welcoming others into a clique that you have or a group or a club or inviting new people into your life and starting conversations with them. This is the sneaky thing about conversing with somebody else. If you feel awkward about it or you feel like you're not equipped to do it or you feel like I'm uncomfortable, I don't know what to say, they feel the same way. So everyone who's in conversations with each other, they're just trying to find someone to talk to. And you say hi to them. What's your name? How you doing? Who do you, where do you work? Do you have a job? What's your family like? What do you do for fun? All of these things are conversations that open people up. They're just as scared and awkward and uncomfortable as you are. And that's okay. We can all be uncomfortable and scared and awkward together because we're here to love, not to be our perfect selves. Um, Another hospitality practice might be uh, spontaneously inviting people to come over for a meal. Um, Here's one hospitality exercise that you might get in the habit of. Develop a habit of praying for people you invite into your home. 
If someone shows up at your door or you having some guests over, really develop the practice. Whoever crosses that, that threshold of your home or steps on your porch, maybe a delivery person, um, uh, anything like that, get in the habit of praying for that person or praying for the people you invite into your home, and you're going to see your hospitality uh, take off like rocket fuel, um, but not NASA rocket fuel because that leaks all over the place. Our next uh, practice is the practice of service. And so in service, we desire to reflect the helping, caring, and sharing love of God in the world. We can never really serve others unless we see that our needs, the needs of others, are as real and as important as our own. Now, I'm not saying that you drop everything to help other people. I'm saying, though, that when people bring you their problems and bring you their issues and bring you their um, um, needs that we don't push it off to the side and say, well, that really doesn't sound like a big problem. When we will it away, when we say that doesn't really, I don't really want to make a big deal about that. That doesn't sound big. We need to treat their problems and their needs as big as ours or as important as that. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. And so serving practices might include uh, the practice of asking, what can I do for you today? Waking up in the morning and asking your spouse or a friend or some neighbor or something like that. Practice it for the next two weeks. Wake up in the morning and, and say, what can I do for you today? How can I serve you today? I don't want to do the things that I need to do. I want to do what you need to do first, and then we'll get to my stuff. Um, another practice of service includes reviewing your service budget. Uh, here's a great little trick that you can do. Get a piece of paper, make three columns, and in the first one write for me, and the second one write for others, and in the third one write for God. And so then review your week. What did I do for me this week? What did I do for others this week? And what did I do for God this week? And see where you're spending more of your time. I'm going to guess, just like me, that most of the stuff was put in for me. That most of the stuff in your service is going to be in the for me column. Um, get in the habit of practicing a yearly intentional service project. Um, part of our vision here, especially in the spring, um, we want to do a week of service. We want to do a week of projects where we can, as a community, go out and serve others. But we just don't want to do things that are random. We don't want to do things that are, okay, I fixed a fence or I picked up some trash or I did something like that. We want to do things that have intentionality. We want to do things that create relationships and create better community around us. So we're going to look into doing that as a church as a community, and um, making that a part of our practice as well. Um, and then as, as uh, we continue to practice service, we want to get involved in a weekly ministry of the church. There are many places that we can serve in the church itself, uh, whether it would be in a children's group or whether it's in set up and tear down each week or whether it's in um, just serving as a, a host or a greeter uh, as we continue to grow. Uh, find a way to get involved. And the last one is uh, maybe the most important one, the one that I think I'll be focusing on this week, and that's unity. Um, <laughs> unity is so important. It's the, in fact, it's so, unity in the church is so important. It was the last thing Jesus prayed for before he was arrested. He said in John seventeen twenty, 
I pray also for those who believe in me that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Okay, so that makes you really think that if it was important enough for Jesus to have the last prayer to his father before he's arrested be about the unity of the church, how seriously should we take the unity of the church? And in fact, if you read through the letters of Paul, unity is the theme. Be united in one another. Be united in Christ. Work together with one another. Uh, Hold all these things as one another. So in unity, we desire to live in harmony with Christ's desire for the church to be one. And in fact, we might take that a step further and say we desire to be a bridge builder and a peacemaker in the body of Christ. Unity is the mark that demonstrates to the world that the body of Christ is one organism with one faith, with one hope, with one baptism, and one God and Father of it all. Unity lives out the reality that Christ has already reconciled all things to himself. And in fact, we already belong to him in one another, and we belong to one another in him. And so unity is really our most important witness to the world. What we do in this church, how we behave with each other, how we treat each other, that's our unity. And that's our most important thing that we can show the world. And so some unity practices include sharing worship services with other Christian denominations. um, And in fact, inviting guest speakers from other churches to come in here. We've already had uh, our friend Stacy show up. She's from the Methodist Church. Um, in, in October, we're going to have our friend Derek Human from uh, Evergreen Church down in Ann Arbor. He's going to come and speak to us. Uh, it's important that we hear from other people and other religions and other denominations. Um, a practice of unity might include distinguishing between biblical beliefs and our own personal convictions. And so what we want to do in that respect is say, is this what I personally believe or is this an outstanding biblical principle? It's going to um, really help your uh, conversations with others inside the church. Um, Another unity practice might include refraining from slander or vitriol or gossip against one another in the body. Um, Oh, here's a big one. Um, A unity practice might include learning to have dialogues and not arguments. So we want to have conversations with people, not to win our side of the fight, but to understand. We seek to understand and not to win an argument or seek to respond. We want to have a dialogue and open up conversations with people around us. Um, We can also practice unity by continually praying peace over disunity and conflict. When we pray for conflict and we pray for the church and we pray that it will be... um, better for it and a a place of unity, um, those things start to happen, surprisingly, because God answers those prayers because that's what he wants for his churches as well. And finally, this uh, last unity practice includes intentionally seeking peace and bridge building. So if you see conflict in the church, if you see conflict with other Christians, don't wait on the sidelines. Practice being a bridge builder. Practice seeking peace with other people. Jesus said, blessed are the peacekeepers, right? No, he said, blessed are the peacemakers because they went off and did and they created peace when there was no peace and unity. They didn't just passively keep peace with all the people. Well, as long as I'm peaceful with other people, I think we should be fine. No, Jesus says those people that go and actively seek to make peace with other people in the church 
You are blessed for that. And so it's my hope and it's my prayer that this, these uh, places that we can share our lives with other people are going to open up the community. It's going to open up connection and it's going to allow us to experience God deeper and love him uh, at a level that we didn't before. And these are not to-do lists. These are things that we can actively take a role in creating space for those places.